in the heart of Rutland, you will find Global Bird Fair. If you ever visit, you'll have a great time there. Thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I'm Hannah, and he's Eric. We created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on different birding topics. We're definitely not experts, and anything that we discuss that might be controversial, I want you to remember, they're our own opinions, and they might be different from yours. I feel like I was going for like a little bit of a jig on my song, unintentionally. An unintentional jig? Yeah, it was a little faster than usual. E- even though it's the same tune every every episode? <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. So, <laughs> hello sir, how yes. are you today? I'm good. So, um, most of our news that we have for this episode... It pretty much all came from the eBird newsletter. Is <laughs> is basically eBird's newsletter, yeah. So, um, we... I mean, our, I, I post on eBird a lot, so... I, well, and I thought these were all really interesting things that eBird's talking about. And the first one, which Eric did a little bit more um, research on, is that eBird is making changes to the way that exotics are noted. Yeah, so it's super exciting. Um, I think there's been a lot of um, conversation over the last couple of years about people not putting lists, like they're just purposefully excluding house sparrows or starlings um, off of their list because they didn't want to add um, invasive species onto their bird lists. Um, and now eBird is making the first steps towards being able to separate that out from your life list. You can go, um, and any, anyone right, right now, if you go onto eBird and look at any of your checklists that you have, they have little asterisks next to certain species. So like House Sparrow has like a little gray asterisk, meaning that it's a human introduced to, well, if you're in an area that House Sparrows aren't native to, um, in the United States, um, it'll have gray asterisks saying human introduced, but it is now naturalized. And same with Starlings. And then you'll have things like if you put a domestic uh, mallard, it marks it with a bright orange thing indicating that it's an escapee. And then there's a provisional, which is halfway between escapee and um, naturalized. But the, the same thing goes for range maps. You can see um, there's a different color. So it's purple and orange for purple for the regular habitat, orange for introduced range. Uh, I think range. that's really cool. So there's there's some things um, adding so that you there you can pay better attention to when a bird is not from an area, and it's kind of some real-time data for anybody that's doing any kind of research on them about how the spread of them, things like, I think the article mentioned about red-crowned parrots, how in California and Texas, their populations are higher in those two places than they are in their native range. Well, and so, so they're in, in an area that they've been recent, more recently introduced to, they're doing better than where they're actually native to, or where and, they historically were native to. And that's what I was curious about, how they're going to do the parrots, because there are some people that are like, oh, they're, mm-hmm. you know, introduced, and there's other folks who say, no, those are natural, or, you know, those are naturally occurring birds. Yeah, I, and, don't, I, don't, I didn't look at the map and see, and look at red-crowned parrots, no, see no, if no. it's orange, or I, what, 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 the, what they've put their foot down on. But I just thought about that now, though. I mean, that's going to be really interesting to see which side you know is taken on that <laughs> not that that really means anything but i'm just curious because you know you hear so many people like about the parakeets mm-hmm. and you know oh they're natural or you know no they're not yeah so um i'm just wondering what what uh distinguishing things that they're using to really play that out so um so it says that they're determining it based on the local regions uh irbc they're okay. the, um the not the irbc what what is the abbreviation for the rare bird committee oh, okay. the, um, the the RBA. R, yeah the rbcs for any particular area that that it's that that's how they're determining whether or not it is a naturalized if it's um just a an escapee mm-hmm. or that's that's what they said, which I imagine is a ton of work to try to, to try to do. I mean, you have fifty states, you have uh, twenty two thousand counties or whatever we have in the in in the United States, yeah. and then every single country has smaller um, smaller groups within it. So it's trying to determine like how how many of these are you paying attention to, and how do you get through all that data? Yeah, that's a lot of work. Yeah, kudos to you guys who are doing it. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. The next thing was that, uh, October 8th will be the next big day and stay tuned for another go birding team yeah. like we did before in May. Oh yeah. Um, we had a ton of fun. I hope you did too. And, uh, yeah, I hope we'll, you'll join our team. So stay tuned for that information. Yeah. And then the, then the last thing was, uh, it's not, it doesn't really matter to most people, but, uh, I think it's interesting. The, the taxonomic update for eBird has been delayed till, till, um, it usually happens in August is being delayed until sometime later in the fall. So armchair lifers are going to have to wait until the fall. Bummer. <laughs> so, like, well, and armchair lifers, I'm sure, um, I'm sure we've mentioned it before, but, uh, when 
the taxonomic changes come through based on the different science from the um, different authorities that look at this, um, that are studying it, and people will propose different uh, suggestions about how to change taxonomy, um, splitting different species from other species, and creating subspecies, grouping species together. Um, a lot of times they're referred to as splits and lumps, and a lot. And when a species splits, if you've seen both of the the um, the children species of that parent species, now that it's split, it's two different two different things. If you've seen both of those in areas that, and you're able to dist distinguish them, then all of a sudden you get an armchair lifer because now you have two two instead of just one. Mm -hmm. So armchair lifers are are exciting, but they're also uh, <laughs> it's a double edged sword because there's also lumps. Yeah, like we lost Northwestern Crow. Yeah. However, there is a proposal to add it, to back, put it on. back on. Yeah, <laughs> she's gonna flip flop every year. Yeah. So I guess that's uh, that's it for our e eBird News Corner. <laughs> eBird News Corner. You're welcome. Yeah, e we should we should look at other news instead of just eBird. <laughs> I I just thought all of that was really fascinating yeah. stuff, and I know I enjoy the the splits and lumps every year, like watching the proposals and seeing how that impacts my my life list. Yeah. And eBird's easiest way, you know, that I know of to kind of watch to that stuff it. yeah without getting into the like nitty-gritty of looking at the aou proposals and all that stuff mm -hmm. so uh no reviews for this last nope, cycle so cycle. passing on that and then next thing is my recent episode of women burgers happy hour which you can find anywhere you listen to podcasts i interviewed um a uk-based travel writer that we actually met when we were at bird fair yeah her name that was fun. is amanda took and uh her drink was a gold crest which i greatly enjoyed but just heads up it takes a whole well it doesn't have to take a whole bottle of champagne but once you open a bottle of champagne yeah. i mean what are you going to do with the rest of it yeah seriously you have to you have to find a group of friends or yeah. something to make this drink with yeah, exactly. Otherwise, you're either drinking a bottle of champagne by yourself or you're throwing away or three quarters of a bottle of champagne. You could also get a small bottle of champagne that's only like two glasses. You could but, do that too. You know, where's the fun in that? <laughs> so um, we're doing a little bit of traveling coming up. We are we are definitely definitely slowing down compared to this last year, but um, we're, com we're coming to Columbia in a couple weeks. Um, North Shore Birding Festival down in Florida, um, the yes. North Shore of Lake Apopka. Um, San Diego Bird Festival and Galveston Feather Fest. Um, in 2023, so we, I'm I'm looking forward to those, and I'm looking forward to talking about all those again. Yeah, and I hope um, that you get a chance to come to one of those festivals with us. We're excited to participate in them, and uh, yeah. Yeah, and our plans for Columbia are not completely solid yet, so if you guys have any suggestions, um, we are flying in and out of Bogota, and that is our plans. <laughs> <laughs> we're terrible at this. Yeah, so we'll um, we're we're working on, we're working on an itinerary, but. Uh, or I mean, there's there's so much you can't go wrong in Colombia. No, it's once 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 you start birding in Colombia, you just can't go wrong. Every <laughs> everywhere is spectacular. So, so um, that brings us to our August bird nerd giveaway. August <laughs> is that your new sure <laughs> music? I'll, yeah, you you announced the month, so uh, everyone knows which month we're in. <laughs> So uh, we have a good friend, Dominic Cousins, mm -hmm. who was with us in Uganda, and he lives in the UK. And when we were in the UK for Bird Fair, he was at Bird Fair signing books and speaking and doing he all that stuff. He was so busy. He I was. think I think he had like ten presentations every single day, and then and signing books, and then going and running around. And, and we ran into him like five or ten times. Yeah. Every time we come around a corner, he's running going to do something he's like oh he always took the time to talk to us for a few seconds just the nicest guy super nice guy but he'd stop and talk to us for a few seconds he'd go, i gotta go i'm, I'm already late and then he'd, <laughs> he'd, take, he'd take off running again very busy very very nice and he he alerted us to that he's written almost 50 books at this point yeah he is he's very prolific and he, he's a spectacular author if you're in the UK, you may be more familiar with him. He writes a, a monthly column for, I think it's Birdwatching Magazine, mm -hmm. um, which I haven't seen too much around the US. So we'll, we'll have to see if we can get a subscription to that. That would be cool. That would be cool. Um, but besides that, yeah, he's written books about insects, about, you know, places to go and birds and all this stuff. So he's very, um, he's very he, he writes books, prolific he writes writer, articles, like he writes, he's... This guy, this guy knows a lot of words. <laughs> so, anyways, um, we what we have for you for our August Birdner giveaway is an autographed copy of his recent book, A Bird a Day, which is a fun read um, as you discover insights about 366 of the 10,000 plus species that we share this world with. And as we mentioned, Dominic is an expert bird guide and author, has published a number of things, and travels wi widely for birding and writing. 
and um, we just get a kick out of him, and we know that you'll really enjoy this book, too. Yeah, his, so, his voice definitely comes through in everything that he writes. <laughs> no, like, I, after having met him and hung out with him for a while and talked to him a bunch, like, when you read it, it's like, oh, that's... That's that's Dominic's voice. I was reading the intro to Eric this morning, and he was like, yep, that sounds just like Dominic. Sounds just like Dominic, yeah. So anyways, so our deadline for this Bird Nerd giveaway is August 23rd, and what we want you to do is to email us or, you know, um, message all, all, us All somehow. the normal ways of getting a hold of us. It's not hard. Um, anyways, what we want you to do in honor of the bird day is to pick a day of the year and assign a bird to that day. Mm-hmm. And then if you can just write us a sentence or two about why you chose that bird for that day, that would be great. Okay, so mine... Oh, if, you thought of this. I, I thought didn't of, think this, of yeah. this. No, I, I, I thought of this as Shoot. soon as we talked about it. So, I gotta think about it. Go. So I'm, I'm going. No, I'll take my time. I'll <laughs> explain it fully out so you can think about yours. So... No. I We live in Cannon Beach. We live in Oregon. We have tufted puffins. That's not fair. Tufted puffins come to Cannon Beach beginning of April, sometimes the end of March, but basically the beginning of April. So April 3rd, yeah. tufted puffins. That's You need a tufted puffin for April 3rd. Um, so April this is 3rd. April 3rd, That's my yeah. dad's birthday. Oh, I, I don't... I, April 3rd stuck in my mind. I don't know why it stuck in my mind because I was like, it can't be April 1st. That's April Fool's Day. March 31st seems too on the nose at the end of end of March. So I need And to that's move... my mom's birthday. Oh yeah. But I, I needed to move I needed to move it up a couple days. I don't I don't I don't know why April 3rd, but April 3rd is when um I know Tufted Puffins and you see them, they come in, they've got their beautiful yellow crests, their tufts sticking off their head on April okay. 3rd. So Okay, well, I'm going to go with November 11th. November 11th, all right. And I'm going to go with Great Kiskadi. Okay. Because that is usually when we get a chance to see Great Kiskadis when we're down in Texas for the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival around that date. So we're both going to choose birds with yellow crests? (laughs) Yeah, and I just love Great Kiskadis because they're so playful and they're goofy and they're huge flycatchers. Yeah. Um, And they just, I don't know, they bring me a lot of joy and I get a lot of joy when I go down to go see them around November. So there we go. Two different birds for two different days. Now we just need 364 other. Because we have to count leap year just like yeah, Dominic sure. did. Yeah. Um, so 364 more birds to cover some other dates so we can know the birding calendar of the of the year. And then uh, whoever gets randomly selected for their thing can then see how Dominic split up the year. In Very good. Birds. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're done with our nonsense and yeah. we'll get into D- the real birding. Bird fair. Bird fair. The the real the real deal. Yeah. So we just got back from England. We spent uh, about a week. We were, we were there six days? Five days? Something like that. <laughs> you have no idea. I don't know. I, I got on the plane. We went to England. And then we came home. So the um, we, we did a bunch of stuff. We've already talked about the first couple of days. Yeah. Um, we, went, we went up, saw Bempton Cliffs, went to the Puffins. That was um, incredible. It was spectacular. Um, every afternoon... So we did we did a little bit of birding each morning and then in the afternoon we spent spent the rest of our day at Bird Fair mm-hmm. which I feel like we probably missed some good chunks because Bird Fair is completely unlike um US birding festivals. I had no idea what to expect going into it. Yeah, so um it is it is not it is more akin in my mind I see it more akin to like our state fairs. Yeah. Um, that we have like our state and county fairs that it's it's an all day all day event. The no rides, thing, though. There's no rides, yeah. Um, the things are going on all day long. So here at Bird Fair, or there at Bird Fair, you have all these giant, massive marquee tents. And then you have smaller tents that have presentations. You did have one giant marquee tent with a, present, with, with a presentation mm-hmm. stage. But it's got food, it's got vendors, it's got presentations. And it's just, it's a whole all-day event that starts every single morning. It was 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock? I think maybe 9. Um... Start starting at nine, and it would run all the way until like six or seven at night. Uh, Every, sometimes they have. There was the, a couple that went really, a couple yeah, of presentations that went kind of late. Exactly. Yeah. So you could be busy all day long just in this like what two three square acre property. Yeah. <laughs> like, but like even even though you're you're saying it like it's small, like a, a couple acres, not not that big. There were so many vendors packed into this area. Yeah. The so these these giant marquee tents. I don't. I should have pasted it off. Um, or maybe I should have emailed uh, Tim Appleton and asked um, some measurements. But um, these these massive there was four massive marquee tents that were probably two hundred feet, maybe maybe longer, and then like a hundred feet wide, maybe three hundred feet long, hundred feet wide, 
just these monster tents they were huge and there's four of them that were full of vendors and then they had two tents that weren't nearly as big but they were still giant that were just optics so it, was, it had all the all the massive um all the, all the big companies you've got Swaro, you've got leica you've got uh zeiss um Canon, Nikon, um, it, it, the list just goes on of all these different optics companies. I think Celestron had a tent there, or had a had a, a booth. Mm-hmm. It just every time you go around go around through the optics things, there's just another one, another one, another one, and it's so large compared to any other festival that we've been to here in the states. Um, and a couple of the vendors mentioned this: the the optics tent, just the optics area for each vendor mm-hmm. was bigger than the entirety of the optics, the whole optics thing and most festivals in the States. There just isn't space for it. And so this is an area that's just set up specifically for this. So two massive optics tents, four massive marquee tents for just vendors, and then three presentation tents and a large, three medium sized presentation tents and a large presentation tent. So, so um, tons of stuff. Yeah, and so when we've been to, you know, bird festivals in the U.S., they are between, what, like 250 and 1,000 people, just mm-hmm. depending on, yeah, like, depending on the, size the festival. And, yeah. This one, they had about 10,000 visitors come through in the, the three or four days that they held it. Mm-hmm. So it is just a ton of people that come to this thing and go look at all the these booths and listen to the presentations, and it's it's something to see. Yeah, so I, I I kind of offhandedly mentioned Tim Appleton a little bit, but he is he is kind of the driving force behind getting getting this back back going. So mm-hmm. back in the day, there was the British Bird Fair, which we don't want to sound like super knowledgeable about this. No, because we, not at all. We didn't participate in that one at all, and that was a little pre us. It, it, it was it was pre us going. We actually were planning on going to it, and then COVID, and you know, so. British Bird Fair was basically a similar thing held at a slightly different location. But to our understanding. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. To our understanding. This is what we've been told. Yeah. Um, and told by a lot of the vendors that were there. Because mm-hmm. we wanted to ask, like, what was this like before? Like, how does this compare to what it was before? And I think this year it was a little bit smaller. But it, according to what a lot of the vendors were saying, but they were just, everyone, all the vendors especially, like, they were just blown away. And I'm blown away that... It was less than a year that this thing was put together. Oh, it, yeah. It took him from the ground up, brand new location, brand new everything, brand new vendors for everything, like the tents and the music and all, all that stuff was all brand new. And he got it all, and Tim Appleton and the rest, I'm, I'm assuming there's a whole committee. Oh, yeah, he's got a whole crew. There's, there's no way he's, he's doing this by himself, but he is just a phenom. And he, he got all this done and put this together. 10,000 visitors. There was over 300 um, vendors, mm-hmm. like, that were... From around the world. From around the world. They were, they were either selling their stuff, selling trips, advertising their country, what, what, whatever it was there that was they a, were there. I don't even think you mentioned that there was a whole artist tent, too. Oh, yeah, there was a whole... I, I, did, I, I just looped that together with the vendors. But, yeah, there was a tent that was specifically just art. Yeah. And, bird art of different types. And it was so cool. There was somebody doing screen printing of shirts that you could, like, go specially make your own shirt. Yeah. That was really cool. Yeah, there you was... get to choose the colors, and then you get to pull you get to pull the, pull the, the, um, the board across. Yeah, and, and then there was, you know, a lot of painters, a lot of photographers. Yeah. And, um, glass work, you know, there was like, there, there was so many whittlers. options. There was so many options for us to buy stuff for the burger oh, giveaway, but seriously. then we were like, how are we going to get any of this stuff home? I know. Like I'll, I'll, we're going to break literally everything that we try to bring home. Eric. Yeah. I was not happy with him because he yeah. wouldn't let me buy anything. <laughs> I, I wanted to buy stuff, but I was like, we're going to break it with the way our bags are situated. Like we're just going to get them smashed. Whatever we bring, <laughs> we're going to smash it. And I, I don't want to do that. I don't, I, I don't want to ruin somebody's arts that they spent a lot of time working on. Totally. So it was it's big. It's a it's a very large bird fair. And I don't even know if you mentioned that there were like six food vendors there. There was like a, a curry one, a Greek food, um, there was pizza mm-hmm. and sandwiches. then sandwiches. I, there was an ice cream one. Yeah. And then they also had a couple um beer uh trucks. Yeah. Yeah, so oh, and the beer trucks had uh beers that were named after birds. So they had a red kite and an osprey. Yeah. So. Oh, and there was even that one little tent that was next to uh, the food area that had like um, baked stuff. Oh yeah, I forgot about the baked stuff tent. Yeah, yeah. So so like like I was and saying, and a gin. There was a bird gin. Bird gin. Tent. Yeah, they, they promised they would get in touch with me, and they have not yet. That's true. We need to Google them and see if we can contact them yes. and get some bird gin. Yes. But um, anyways, this <laughs> it, it was super cool. It was overwhelming. And obviously, it, it was definitely overwhelming. Um, and so I mentioned the the presentation tents. So there was three smaller presentation tents. Yeah. 
that were running starting at nine in the morning, running all the way through. I think the last presentation most days was like six. five or six, yeah. something like that. Every half hour, there was another presentation in each of those. So that's three simultaneous presentations running every half hour for eight hours. And then that that's a lot of presentations. Oh, yeah. And like, there was no way you could make it to all of them. You, you had tons of people... Um, uh, Steve, Stephen Moss, David Linda, Ruth Miller, like all all of these big big names that you've heard of all the way over here in the states, mm-hmm. along with dozens and dozens of names that we're not familiar with because we're we're not really tuned into the British birding community, but ton, tons of them, or even the European birding community. Well, and there were a lot of people that were doing presentations about like different places to go in the world. Like um, there was somebody presenting about Guatemala, and Boris was there talking Bo- about Boris, Lithuania. Yeah, Boris, the the curly pelican, <laughs> was uh, was there talking about Lithuania, his his home country. Yeah. So, so there there's a lot of opportunity just to like listen to lectures all day long, yeah. which is super cool because they varied so much in their content. Yeah. Like we sat through uh, Ruth Miller's presentation, which was about women birders. Mm-hmm. Um, we also were at Mohit Agarwal's presentation about uh, how Western birders um, have impacted indian birding conservation yeah so they just varied so much green birding was another one yeah there was green birding there was uh david Lindo did a couple presentations about uh, urban birding and um they they did a bunch of different game shows in the in the big tent and the big tent had um a presentation every hour mm-hmm. um, it was a 45 minute presentation that started at, started on the hour um every day so three days of i think there was eight presentations per day for three days from like big name people and just big packed packed room. Like if we we never got into any of the presentations in the <laughs> big room because every single time we would go over there, it would be standing room. It wouldn't even be standing room only. It no. was full standing room and then people standing outside trying to hear yeah. outside. And it's like I don't want to stand in the sun. It's hot to stand in the sun. It was very hot, and you couldn't you couldn't hear very well outside of the tent. But man, the, everything was popular. Like you, every single time we go in, that's we we made it into a couple of the smaller presentations because. It was, we were able to like jump, like be ready at that half hour, just <laughs> like run in right when it's time. But. but you know, it was so exciting because although there were 10,000 people at this festival, we actually knew a handful of people, Yeah, you know? And so we just spent the time we were there besides going to lectures, you know, hanging out with friends that we haven't seen in a while, which yeah. I just thought I was totally unexpected. And then there were a lot of people that we knew virtually that we had never met in person. So yeah. we got a chance to meet them. But then besides that, you know, we would just wander through the the vendor area and talk about birding in all these fabulous places. Mm-hmm. And one of the really interesting takeaways I got was how how they market to the UK birders and then like some countries would market solely to UK birders and didn't even consider like US birders. Yeah, I mean like St. Lucia and Dominica, they're 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 relatively close to the United States, yeah. but the people that we talked to, maybe, maybe they have different marketers for going maybe. to different places, yeah. but the people that we talked to, when we told them we're from the United States, they, they kind of acted like, I've never even thought to advertise to the people in the United States, but... Well, and Tobago said the exact same thing. We were yeah. like, oh, you know, we're from the U.S., and we'd love to go down to Tobago <clears throat> and go see all the cool things there, and they're like are there bird festivals in the U.S.? It's like, oh, heck yes. Let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, so. but but it's, and, and they do have a point. A lot of, a lot of those places have easier flights from mm-hmm. Heathrow or from, from some of the airports, um, Amsterdam and stuff like that. But because for, for us, we'd have to make a couple of transfers to get there. Oh yeah. I was looking at going to St. Lucia and we have to like fly from here to like Orlando and then Miami and then St. Lucia. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's not it's, it's not a direct flight from most of the United States to a lot of those places but from England there they have pretty direct flights to a lot of those places I imagine a lot of them were former colonies and that's why they have direct flights easier but um but still I thought it was it was it was definitely interesting that there wasn't a lot of uh people that were like expecting to be able to market to Americans yeah but like I said it might be just that the marketers that were there it could be because are used to marketing to because there's um some interesting uh, uh, there's interesting restrictions when it comes to being a booth at bird fair you have to have a UK bank account and then like a UK representative I think is something like that anyways so it makes it harder for these places to um to market like at bird fair like a lot of people have to have go through like a proxy yeah. to be able to have their booth at bird fair well but but 
even though you like you you think of like oh that's that's harder. There was over three hundred vendors. Still. Yeah, totally. Like it, it was it, it it probably stopped it from becoming six hundred vendors, <laughs> possibly. Yeah, so it it's it's very popular even even with restrictions put on the vendors for having to do certain certain things in order to qualify for being there. It was still very popular with the vendors. The vendors seemed to all be happy. We we talked to them. Most of them were not expecting because of COVID and stuff. They weren't expecting as high of visitorship as there was, mm-hmm. but it was it was pretty busy. Every single day we were just in like it was just hordes of people and it was like, "Oh, this is this is pretty cool. There's tons of people that have come out. They're so excited to see these places and make plans for their trips or decide on getting a new set of pair of optics or a new field guide or, or, oh, or whatever totally. whatever it was that each of the vendors were selling. Yeah. They you want it, they have it, except for a tripod bag. We were not able to find a We've, tripod bag. We found I found a couple, but Did you? yeah. They they were over in the optics the the um I thought there were camera bags. No, well there was some camera bags, but there was some tripod bags okay. in in that but it, there was one that was the same exact one that we have, the Sly um Clee Spy. Yeah. Clay Spy. Clay Spy. Clay Spy. Yeah. We had uh, there there was that brand as represented, okay. and then there was another one that looked really um, really cheap. I didn't see what the brand name was on it, uh-huh. but it, it was kind of like your first one that we had. That was is kind of really flimsy uh-huh. and fell prob- apart. Fell apart. Kind of would probably flip your tripod upside down, maybe. Gotcha. I don't know, but the um, but yeah, I didn't see any. Um, There's I didn't another see one that I want, and I can't remember the name of the brand. I didn't. The, yeah, I remember because we talked about it before. And I don't, it's like Scottish. Yeah, I think. something like that. Anyway. Anyways. So it completely was completely off topic. <laughs> they also had a, a bird ringing station there too. Oh yeah, which I forgot was about very that. popular. A lot of people um, went to go watch them bird ring. Yeah, and... doing a demonstration, and then they would show how they how they check for feather molds and how they age the birds and sex the birds and go through all of that. So that was. That was pretty cool. Yeah, and in the Not afternoon... Not we stopped and watched it, but I know a lot of people told us it was really cool. And in the afternoon, when it got a little hotter, they kind of took that station down, but they were still available to, like, talk about birds and talk about ringing and all yeah, that and cool Yeah, and they stuff. had examples of feathers, of aging aging feathers and stuff like that. Yeah. That they were, they were showing off. That was really neat. Yeah. So, I 100% recommend going to Bird Fair. It was incredible. Yeah. If you end up over there, definitely, definitely go for it. But, like we said, we... We are used to an American bird festival mm-hmm. where you bird in the morning all the way up into the afternoon and then you go do the vendor thing and you talk to talk to the vendors and you buy stuff or you plan trips and all, and all that stuff in the afternoon. But this is all day long you could do that. And then you just pop away from the vendor area, go to the presentations that you want to go to and then go back to the vendor area. So definitely plan on probably adding a couple days before or a couple days after to be able to do it so that you can experience the whole day at the fair. Or if you want to do like we did, just... Kind of do it in the afternoon. Kind of do it in the afternoon. Yeah, exactly. We, we we treated it like a regular American birding festival. Well, and we kind of sparked somebody into um, having interest in doing a pre and post trip. <laughs> so we'll see if that turns yeah, out. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, maybe next year some of, some of the tour companies will be running some trips up to Bempton Cliffs or where, where, wherever around the country to try to get you some species before the festival. And if that happens... If that happens, they all owe us. Yeah, that's some, true. We need royalties. Money. Yeah, I, I was the one that came up with that idea. <laughs> yeah. So we have one more thing to talk about about bird fair, kind of ancillarily about bird fair. So bird fair used to be the global bird fair when it was British bird fair was held at a slightly different location at the Rutland Water. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a big huge lake. I think it's I think it said it's the largest man made lake in yeah. England, right? Yeah. Um, and it is, it's huge. Um, and it's like 4,200 acres. And on the, on the shoreline of it is where they used to have, um, British bird fair. And now they've, they've moved it to kind of expand to a new, new location with some better parking and some better, better logistics for it. Mm-hmm. But, um, we had to go visit this place, um, one of the mornings before, before we left. Cause we were like, we need to know where this used to be and see what it's kind of like. And, and well, and also because, you know, it's a good burning spot too. And, and it was literally halfway between our hotel and global, <laughs> and, and where the um, the bird fair is being held now. Yeah. So it was also convenient. It was like, oh, on our way to bird fair, we'll stop stop in at Rutland Water and, and check it out. Yeah. So uh, that morning we started out by visiting the nearest Rutland Water Reserve um, HQ. It's called the Ang- Anglian Water Bird Watching Center. We got some coffee and a quick bite because... They are so RSPB wonderful. RSPB and all that, all those well, organizations. This yes, this is an RSPB, but all of all of these developed sites, all of them have cafes. I almost love it. all, of them. not not all of them, but almost all of them have cafes that you can, you can you can survive. Yeah, <laughs> you, you you can get your sandwich. You can get uh, coffee, a snack of some sort, and some coffee or tea if, if you're into tea, and then 
Go on, go on, go about your day, continuing to birth. I appreciated that so much. Yeah, and nice bathrooms too. Well, and when we we're in, uh, when we we're in Sweden, it was like the same thing. I guess that's just, so. It's just these centers that are really well developed. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so we got some coffee and a quick bite, and we headed to the blind that was right next to the entrance, and we ended up getting our lifer done it. Yes, chasing it for the whole time we were there. <laughs> Which and shouldn't we, be we, a complicated bird. No, it it is a backyard bird. It is a bird. I, I think it's fair. It's fairly comparable to song sparrows. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's similar size, similar look too, but. Um, Similar to the song sparrow, that is brews pretty much everywhere. Like you see it in your backyard, and you don't really pay it any mind if you're if you live in the area. It's just like oh, Dunnick, yeah. It just yeah. you're making you're making your checklist, and obviously you had a Dunnick, and you you just move on. So, but we hadn't seen one. I know. So we so we got on the list, and it was it was pretty pretty exciting. We were excited. Nobody else really. Yeah. Cared. The, the the guy next to us was like I, I was like oh it's Dunnick. He's like yeah. <laughs> it's like oh okay well I'm excited. So we stepped out of that blind for a few minutes, and there was kind of like a, I don't know, it was like an overgrown It, um, it looked like a wildscape area. garden yeah. sort of thing, like in, in in between some trees where they purposefully planted a bunch of native species mm-hmm. in planters with grass paths between them. Yeah. So it was really pretty little, um, like, courtyard kind of situation. Yeah. Uh, but that was where we got our lifer garden warbler, which is a very tough bird to pick out. It's kind of like a nondescript bird that's much like a uh, orange crown warbler that we'd see here like in the Americas. Yeah, so I I kind of I kind of likened it to orange crown warbler when I was looking it up cuz it's kind of like you've got you've got willow warbler. It's got a bright yellow eye eye eye, eye patch, uh, uh-huh. eyebrow. You've got you've got a couple other warblers that are kind of in that category. And then you've got garden warbler, which, if it doesn't have any of the field marks of all the other ones, you're probably looking a at a garden. Warbler. You're probably looking at a garden warbler, as far as I can tell. Um, you definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I I didn't I don't think I got any pictures of the guy that we had, but uh, just bare, a very faint eye ring and no eyebrow, no no wing bars, no no. No other excitement about it. It's so, just doing it, doing its thing. Except that it was a life of bird. That's the excitement, but no, no additional excitement. It, it, it wasn't doing some fancy song and dance with flipping its wings like a no, like a was, mockingbird, showing some patches. Or it was anything. like flitting through the the branches of the tree, like really hard to pick out. You know, oh, and and get it, a it clear was look at it. Very busy trying to find some food. I yeah. mean, so the sun had just come up like an hour, a couple hours before, and it was warming up all the branches. So you had all the caterpillars, and you had all the all the different insects that were coming coming to life, waking up, warming up underneath the leaves. And so it's going along, finding breakfast. It was very busy. Yeah, and there were a lot of other things flying around too, like long-tailed tit, Eurasian blackcap, Eurasian blackbirds, European robin, mm-hmm. chip-chaff. Um, so some of your more common garden birds. And then uh, some folks were mentioning that they had had a black-tailed godwit. Um, being seen at one of the other blinds that wasn't too far away from where we were at. And there's just, I don't know, like 10, 20 blinds There's a ton of blinds in this place. Um, So we decided to run over there um, because we didn't have a whole lot of time left. To be able to really bird at that site, we, so we it hiked. was it was self limited time. We want we had some presentations we really wanted to get to. Yeah, yeah. So we were like, we need to hurry up and get to those presentations, but we also want to bird this area. So we hightailed it over there, and uh, the site, the blinds at the site are just very nice. Mm-hmm. You know, beautiful, like nice bench has a opening that you can see that's really wide open. It's not like you have to like you know crane your neck trying to look through some of those holes. Yeah. So the, the, they still have the same problems that most of the U.S. wines have. And it's not like most people don't have a problem with it. Okay. But I'm 6'1". Oh. And I always... Oh, I see always, you're bragging about being tall. Yeah, bragging about being... I always have to duck. Okay. And it's, even if I'm sitting in the chair, it's still ducking. So usually spending large amounts of time in a hide... For me, a large amount of time is like 15 minutes. But um, <laughs> spending a large amount of time in a hide is is crouching down and looking through things that are too low. Yeah. Though people of average height... If you're below six foot, like, I think if you're b- between five and six feet tall, it's not really that much of an issue, but that's, they, they design them for the average population, the average height of person. Sure. So, so it's the same, it's the same problem I have here in the States, same problem I have over in, in the UK, everywhere that we've been where there's bird blinds, it's the same thing. It's just like, they're just slightly too low for me. I think it's because you have a long torso. My torso is just too long. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that. But they're great. They're great blinds, though. They're, 
they're, I mean, they're great. It's this, so there's it's, this is comparing apples to apples still too because yeah. it's the same problem I have over here. So no, no issues. Seems like it's a personal problem. It is a very personal problem. Uh, so anyways, anyways. there was this black-tailed godwit. So we went to go look for that. And, uh, yeah, chucked out the blind for a few minutes. We didn't get the godwit. No, no godwit uh, for us. Which we had just gotten at Snedisham, which we'll talk about in the next episode. Next episode. episode. So, the spectacular. Foreshadowing about that. Um, but anyways, we did get mute swans, the great crested grebe, moorhen, arctic tern, and common tern. So yeah. a lot of terns that were flying around kind of in that marshy area right yeah, was, in front of us. It was, it was pretty good. So... Um, we ended up going back to the to the bird fair after that. Um, got to go back to have some lunch. Got some. Uh, we we'll um, listened to Ruth Miller's presentation. R- Ruth about Miller's presentation. Um, said some goodbyes to some of her friends because they were packing up their boots because they had to fly out the next or that evening. I think. Yeah, the um, flights all got changed, so they flew out like yeah, that evening. They, they all got changed because it's. The whole thing with their airlines right now, things are just such in flux. you got to really pay attention to your flights because they're, they're changing them like on a daily basis. Yeah, so, our Columbia flight changes like every day. Yeah, like every day they t- send us new details. But anyways, the um, since, since everyone was leaving, we were like, you know what, let's go back to Burden. We've, we've seen a couple of presentations. We had some lunch. Let's go, let's go see if we can find some more stuff at Rutland Waters. Yeah. So we went to another site, which is on the south side of the lake. It's called Linden, the Linden Visitor Center. It's uh, down on the south side. It's actually the closest. Um, it's the only or one of the only publicly accessible osprey nests in either the region or the country. I'm not sure which. Which, if you're from the U.S., you like us, you might be like, okay, it's an osprey nest. Yeah, we osprey. have one that's yeah. like I don't know, 15 miles from yeah. our house. We'll see, the we see it every time we go to go, go up to Costco for for hotel shopping. However, in the U.K., ospreys uh, were declared extinct in the uk in 1916 yeah so they were gone completely gone um until somebody introduced a pair um or tried to introduce a pair um in 1954 or maybe maybe it came up on its own but it was in 1954 a pair attempted to breed and was not successful and so the rspb was like oh this is possible they're trying on their i think it was trying on their own they're they're trying on their own let's see if we can start a a program to get Mm -hmm. these guys going again yeah and so they started working on um, a reintroduction program, um, RSPB did. And this, I think this is one of the sites that they introduced um, at Rutland Waters, introduced um, a pair or a couple pairs mm-hmm. to try to do it. And their first successful breeding, um, the first successful fledging was in 2001. And since then, since 2001, they've had over 200 individuals fledged. Wow. Wow. Uh, out of Rutland. That's it's, amazing. It's not from a single pair, but it's, you know. It's, <laughs> that would be that a, would be very, a active very, pair. very active pair. But it's two, 200 individuals have fledged in the last 20 years from Rutland Waters. Yeah. So it's, it, this this species is well well on its way to some sort of success recovery. For, for recovery. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, super exciting. Pretty cool. Yeah. So, so, every... so super exciting. I mean, it's not, uh, it's an os- for us, Osprey. Huh? Okay, well, I have, we have lots of Ospreys, but they didn't have lots of Ospreys. Yeah. And now they're getting back to it. Yeah. And so everybody was really excited. In that visitor center, they had a, a camera that, or a, a TV that was mm-hmm. connected to a camera at that nest. So you could sit in the, the visitor center and watch the, the birds come in. Yeah. So they, they set up a big tower. Um, this got the you know you, I think everyone's probably seen the, where they do the platform tower, mm-hmm. and then put the and the ospreys will come and do it. They put a second tower right next to it that's like fifteen feet away that has a camera just pointed right down to the nest, and it's it's like ten feet taller, so you can look down into the nest. Yeah, and so it's got two two poles out in the middle of the lake right next to each other. So um, I want to talk a little bit about Redland Water because the, at the Linden Visitor Site, uh, the docent that was there was mm-hmm. telling us about the history of it and i didn't know any of this because i didn't really look into it until she brought it up but yeah, and then it was like okay well, let's learn let's let's listen and learn it's super interesting <laughs> so anyways um like eric said it's the largest man-made lake in the uk and it was previously called the empingham reservoir um and the lake was made in 1976 to provide water for the increasing population in southeast england and so to build this reservoir, it was necessary for them to flood a large part of that parish, and which destroyed several local communities, including Nether Hambleton and Middle Hambleton, um, which was all part of this, this area up here. And the rivers were diverted to fill the reservoir, which made about 4,200 acres of lake. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm always amazed when there's, uh, when, there, when there's things like this, towns that are now underwater. But um, what, one of the things that I thought was interesting that she pointed out is that you can see the footpaths 
which footpaths are a really common thing in that area, but the footpaths go and then they just stop at the water's edge. It's kind of Because it used to go to the town yeah. and then to the next town. And so now it just stops. It's just a path that just goes to the water. And Hamilton is a pretty old community. I mean, it dates back to like, it was like a 1076 you know, yeah. um, and that's where the capital of the Anglo-Saxon kings were, and now it's all just frozen in time underneath the waters <laughs> of this lake. Interesting to go scuba diving out there, maybe. I think there was, I think it said there was about 750 people that had to be relocated to be able to do that. And okay. those people, their families, you know, had this huge history in that area. Yeah. So that had to be just a huge controversy. Oh, I, I, I'm sure it's, I mean, any, anytime they do something like that, you're, you're displacing a community. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, it, yeah, whatever. All I can ever think about is, oh, brother, where are thou, though? You oh, know, at I the know. end where they, they flood the whole they valley. They flood the whole valley, it. and they're, they're, they're in the cabin, and all of a sudden the water comes and it gets them. It couldn't have been like that, though. No. So anyways, it was getting hotter in the day, and so we wandered down to the blind where they said that we might be able to see the osprey mm-hmm. just for a few minutes. Um, and it was the deep water blind, uh, not far from the visitor center. We saw a tufted duck, grebe, gray heron. Little egret and one osprey one out in the distance. Osprey. Yeah, so it's pretty pretty cool. We saw we saw one of the one of the few ospreys that have been been coming back to life, being reintroduced. So it's pretty pretty spectacular. So it was hot, like Hannah said. Um, so we decided, you know, what, let's let's go back to the hotel. We'll shower, we'll cool off, and we'll get ready to try to. We we we, we still wanted to get owls. We yeah. had we hadn't found any owls this whole trip. So we wanted to try for some owls. Um, uh, Jeff Bouton um, from Coa was like, he, he's he's been going on and on and on about there's there's a couple good spots. There's, he 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 knows of some roosts, and so but he had left because his flight had his, been his, altered. His flight so. had got messed up, so he 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 was already gone. So I was like, okay, well, he's not going to be able to show us his secret his he secret secret spots. I know he he always pulls pulls a fast one on us like that. <laughs> Let lets us know. Oh, I know about these super secret spots. Oh, by the way, bye. And then yeah. he, and then his flight's changed and he has to leave. But um. We uh, we we found we found on eBird a handful of locations that had been, had some recent sightings, and they were they were south of us like half hour forty five minutes or so. So let's go down there that direction, and then we'll go we'll go see if we can find some dinner down there and get uh, get get the owls. Mm-hmm. But um, once we got down there, it was it was getting late. Late in, it's not really late, but late ish. It was seven o'clock or so. Well, before that, we had noticed when we left the hotel mm-hmm. that it was a ghost town. Oh, there yeah, our, like, our hotel was ghost town. There yeah. was like not a single car there. And so we were like, that's kind of weird. We were, could have gotten dinner here. That, but. That, that was actually the intent to get dinner at the hotel. But, we were, but since it was empty, it was like, well, I guess we'll just go down to those owling spots and find dinner down there. Find dinner down near those. Yeah, so we headed down there. I picked out a restaurant that sounded good, got to the parking lot. Parking lot was kind of empty. Almost completely empty. And uh, walked into the restaurant, which I wouldn't normally do, like walk into an empty restaurant. Yeah. And there was a guy sitting at one of the tables and the bartender was just kind of like wandering around, uh, putting stuff away and everything. And so we just kind of like stood there for a second and the guy sitting at the table was like, can I help you guys? And we were like, well, we were... he was just a local that was having a beer. Yeah. And we were like, well, we were kind of here for dinner. And he was like, that was a couple hours ago. <laughs> and I should have known this. I mean, my family is, you your, know. Your family did this. My, well, my family's English and, or, you know, descendants of English people. Yeah. And so you have Sunday dinner, like, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and mm-hmm. then you just kind of chill for the rest of the day. Like, I didn't really grow up that way, but I know that my mom did. <laughs> Yeah. And so, like, I should have known that Sunday we would have to eat dinner earlier. We weren't getting dinner. Yeah. So, the there were signs all over the town. Every single pub had them. Sunday night carvery. Yeah. And 4 so, p.m. 4 p.m. And, well, and a lot of them were ending at 4 p.m. So, yeah. it was, like, noon to 4 p.m. And so, by 4 p.m., you're already too late. You've already missed dinner. Yeah. That guy was like, uh, well, I guess there's a... A Chinese restaurant no. down the street. Well, we asked, "Is there anything open?" And he's like, "Oh, there's there's a Chinese restaurant. There's and there's some Thai food, and I think he said pizza or something too." There Maybe. Was, it was down the street, and we we're like, "Well, what's what's the best?" And he's like, "Oh, the best one is." And then he gave us directions to one. He's like, "Oh no, but this other one is even better." <laughs> and then he gave us directions to a second one, and he's like, "Oh, but then if you really want, no, this other one's really good. It's it's, it's the best." And then he gives us directions to a third one. And it's like, okay, so which one should we go to? But it was like. <laughs> Go around this roundabout, and then the next roundabout, and then the mini roundabout. Yeah, it's the second exit in the first roundabout, the third exit in the second roundabout, and then the mini roundabout just goes straight through the mini roundabout, and then it'll be on your right 
at the next roundabout. It's like, just tell me the name and I'll Google it. <laughs> Anyways, so we ended up getting really good Chinese food. Oh, yeah, it was uh, good. And the, the place, I, I don't remember what it was called, but it was super busy. Like, the whole time we were there, like, there was only, like, two other tables in there. Yeah. But all the whole time, literally, people would park, run in, grab their to-go order, and run back out. Yeah. The whole time, just, like, this revolving door of people coming to get food. So they're they're doing well. I know. I just think about how dumb I was. I know. About that whole thing. This, the Sunday feast. So so the Sunday the Sunday night carvery. It's it's a traditional Sunday feast. So it's a big roast, potatoes, and uh, all the sides. Well, just all everything. all the sides that you get with a big roast, and that's that's what it is. And his family's supposed to get together and have it all together as a big and I really a wish, big spectacle on Sunday. But I really we wish I would have paid attention because yeah. I would have enjoyed like you know. Participate. In I know that. we we just we just got so distracted because we were birding and then we got hot. So let's just go back. That's probably and cool off. That's probably why bird fair was like closing up early on oh, Sundays maybe. because everybody yeah. wanted to get to dinner. That's, that's that might be. Huh. Yeah, because okay. yeah, because there was things that were going all the way all the way into the evening on Sunday, but the vendor area by the time we left was like half closed. Yeah. Like not closed, but like people were people were already packing up. People were like celebrating. Yeah. Successful bird fair. A success. Another one in the books. The first one in the books. <laughs> so anyways, if you end up going, you know, plan for Sunday night dinner. <laughs> yeah, plan for Sunday night dinner and plan that it's more of a... As, Sunday afternoon. As, as, as us Americans, it's more of a Sunday afternoon lunch, not, so, a, not a dinner. So we went to a couple hot spots where there had been tawny owl sightings. One was like in this... this backyard of a house mm-hmm. so we and we realized that it was probably the homeowner had seen an owl yeah um in his yard so we or, or heard it in the middle of the night or something yeah and so we parked um like half mile away where there was a little pull out mm-hmm. and listened for it but you know nothing and no, then st- stood out there in the dark on the side of the highway for a little while yeah and then there was another one that was on these out out of this like it wasn't a logging road it was like a just a random forest road we went and hike down that like half a mile and then mm-hmm. just kind of didn't hear or see anything no it was so. pretty quiet back there so we, we we tried that we tried a couple other spots um doing some slow rolling and, and getting out and wandering along the side of the road in so in some areas so tawny owls are like most owls uh habitat edge yeah so they're you you get to an area where there's places for them to roost during the day places for them to hunt in the evening and that's that's where you're likely to find them, especially like that time of year where you're gonna hear them calling, which they have. They have. I can't remember what it, what, what it is now, but they have. They have a call that's mm-hmm. that's pretty indicative of them, and so it's you just go out and you listen, and you listen, and you go along the habitat edge, and you just kind of hope hope that you find them. Yeah. But well, no luck. But even though we didn't have any luck, we got some spectacular sunset oh my gosh it It was was, gorgeous we we drove past this aqueduct that was it looked like a big roman aqueduct yeah um, and it was just the sunset through it and it's well and just the english countryside you know with like these rolling hills of um of uh that are it's in an agricultural area like sorghum or whatever they're yeah so there's like tall grasses with the sunset that was super colorful in the background like it was pretty it was really beautiful yeah so it's it's like we we talked about people here on the coast like they're super excited in, in Oregon when it's completely clear and then the sunset and it's like yeah but the fall sunsets are even better because you get the clouds because you get the clouds and you get all that texture and that's what we had that that evening it was just like all these clouds and the the colors were just just all over the place and the and because the clouds are there for the light to reflect off mm-hmm. of the the colors of the sunset cover almost the entire sky, and then you've got all this texture at the bottom side of the clouds. And yeah, I kept having to make Eric yeah, stop we, in the we, road we so I could over get a the, picture. We pulled over in the middle of the road probably like 15 times. We're like, <laughs> we go around the corner and we'll be like, oh no, this is going to be even better. And then we take a picture, and then we go a little bit further. Oh no, we have to stop here. And so, I mean, it, that was before we looked for the owl, because I mean, we were looking for the owl like at the end of sunset yeah. as, as dusk was approaching. But, uh, but man, that, that sunset was awesome. Even though we didn't get an owl, we got that sunset. Yeah. So, you know, if you do get out to Bird Fair, um, there are just so many things to experience in that area mm-hmm. that, I mean, I, I would have never, you know, gone to Rutland. I mean, I would have had no reason to other than, than going to Bird Fair, like all the way from Oregon over there. Yeah. And there's so much to experience there that was just absolutely gorgeous. I mean, the Rutland Water site, like you could spend all day hiking around there i mean we didn't because it was hot (laughs) (laughs) it's not always hot there though we were in the middle of a heat wave so 
I, I think the the next day, the day after we left, I think it got to 42 Celsius <laughs> there. I think it set records. There's there there was some pretty traumatic things that happened down in down in London itself yeah. with lots of people dying from over overheat exhaustion and stuff like that. Wasn't there a huge fire too? There there was a fire. Spain had a huge fire going on at the same yeah. time. A, a wildfire broke out. So Oof. it's lots and lots of things bad were going on with the weather while we were there. So it was just kind of like this. This was not the normal weather for. England. No, and I, that's one thing to mention about Bird Fair, too, is that there's a couple places to stay, like they recommend to stay at, mm-hmm. and one thing is to, to camp, and they have, like this, like Eric said, it's like a county fair, or, yeah. or a state fair in the U.S., and there's like just this whole field where people were camping in. Yeah. And I just think about how hot and miserable oh, They must have been so have been. miserable. But then on other, in other years, it sounds like it's uh, just... Oh, it could be very pleasant. Either either pleasant or getting really muddy. Yeah. From, from all the foot traffic and everything. Yeah. So, I thought we had a great time. Oh, I, I don't I know about a, you. <laughs> I, I don't know about it. you. Let me speak for both of us. Yes. <laughs> it was no, a great time. Exactly. We had a great time. I don't know about you, but we had a great time. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I was just talking. So, anyways, um, I think I think that's pretty much it. That's all I got. About we do Bird we Fair. do we do have one more episode about England coming up in a couple weeks. Um, I'll hint at it. It was it was spectacular what we <laughs> went and saw. But uh, and don't forget to sign uh, to enter in for the Bird Nerd giveaway. Yeah. Deadline is August twenty third for that. Yes, enter enter to win. Randomly selected um, winners will be announced. Winner will be announced. There's just one. There's just Sorry. one winner. There's only one book. Um, but anyways, thank you all for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and or learned something new. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to us. If you would like to connect with us on the socials, you can connect with us uh, on Instagram, Hannah Goes Birding or Eric Goes Birding, on Twitter at We Go Birding, on Facebook at Hannah and Eric Go Birding. Our um, TikTok is Hannah and Eric Go Birding. You can also email us, Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com, or check out our website, www.gobirdingpodcast.com. Tell us what you like, tell us what you hate, and share us with your friends. 